You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are thrilled that you're here with us. And uh, so a couple of years ago, I started taking piano lessons. And uh, I've been playing guitar for more than 30 years. And learning a new instrument is kind of a different experience. It's strange to walk up to an instrument and totally stink at it. uh, Because I've gotten... I've gotten fairly good at guitar over the years, and so within reason, if I decide that I like a song and I want to learn it, I can usually learn it. But piano, I mean, I respect anybody who plays piano because getting both of your hands to do something totally different is, is a skill. But I started, I, I took some lessons and I started learning a song uh, called The Scientist, if you're familiar with that song by Coldplay. Uh, it's a song written about Dr. Anthony Fauci, interestingly enough, and uh, we're on a delay. That's not, it was not written about Dr. Fauci. Although, maybe a song is in order, but uh, that's probably a different sermon. But anyway, no, the, the, the song, The Scientist, it's this beautiful, uh, sad song, and I love it. Uh, it's, but it is a sad song, and it's about heartbreak and loss and wanting to go back and start over so that you, you don't mess it up. And, and it's really, it's wonderful. So anyway, so I started learning it. And the thing about learning a song, and if you're a musician, you understand this, is that you've got to play the song. To get it good, you've got to play the song a whole bunch. And so I, I go into my office at home, and I close the door, and I just start banging out, playing the scientist. And I'm just playing this, you know, and then you, you play it, and then you mess it up, and you play it again, you mess it up, and you play it, you know, a thousand times. You wonder why you were even born, because uh, you can't play this. And so, uh, but then I, so I, I play it, then I finally get it okay. I come out. And my, my wife is on the verge of tears. And I'm like, what's, what's wrong? Was my playing that bad? And she's like, no, your playing is fine. It's that dumb song. It's so sad and now I'm depressed and want to cry. And, 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 it's just, and I don't know what it is about music. Music has that ability uh, to do that. And, and I don't know, do you ever have, you have a song like that that just, like, just moves you, right? And um, I, th- th- I have many of those types of songs, but one of the songs that's like that for me is uh, Your Song by Elton John, and, uh, which is just, uh, I mean, one of my favorites of all time. But um, I, I've been in the middle of Publix shopping, and Your Song by Elton John comes on, you know, and, and I just, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the cereal aisle, and I'm just, I'm, and I'm a mess, you know, and people are asking me if I'm okay. Well, I'm good. You hear me the cinnamon toast crunch, you know. So anyway, so about eight years ago, uh, I took my daughter Mia, who's about s- almost seven, and uh, I took her with me to go see Billy Joel in concert. Now I'm a huge Billy Joel fan, and, uh, and he played all the hits. But anyway, out of nowhere, he starts playing your song by Elton John. And you got to understand, this song is, is, my, is my kryptonite to my tough, macho exterior. And so... Uh, I, and I'm, I, and I'm, I hear it, and I feel it coming, and I'm just trying to hold. You ever, you ever, try, you ever tried to hold in a cry that's tr- fighting for dear life to get out? This is not a good experience. And so, you know, and you got to understand is that uh, this is the song. The reason why it's the song so moving to me is this is the song that I used to sing to Mia when she was a baby uh, as she was falling asleep. 
And so, you know, I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put it down in words. How wonderful life is while you're in the world. It's a beautiful song. So anyway, uh, thank you. Thank you. I haven't even warmed up. And uh, so anyway, so, and I'm just, now I start crying because I'm singing along and I'm just thinking about Mia being a baby and singing it to her as she's, uh, as she's falling asleep. And so I just put my arm around her and tell her I love her. And, 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 and then she turns to me and she says, dad, uh, I, and, and I think she's going to say, dad, I love you too. And, and uh, instead she, I, I say, you know, I'm crying and she's, I'm like, mama, I love you. And, and she's like, dad, um, why don't we go to Subway anymore? And uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. And what made you think of Subway? I'm drying tears off now. And she's like, I don't know, I've been seeing a lot of signs for Subway at this concert. And I just don't, and I'm just like, why don't we go to Subway anymore? And, I, and, I'm, just, and I'm just thinking about the difference, right? Like I, I'm, I'm crying about the uh, uh, dad's love for his daughter. And she's wondering why. We haven't picked up a spicy Italian on wheat as of late. And, and it's just a weird, it's right. This is just, there is just the, it's the power of unseen influence, right? And music has that ability. And by the way, it's not just, uh, doesn't just have that ability to make us sad. And if, if you don't believe me, go to a gym sometime and just wait for the song Eye of the Tiger to come on. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it changes. You, every guy becomes a different person when Eye of the Tiger comes on. You take a guy, and it's just, and you know, it's like, you hear that, like a da, 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 anyway, and then, you know, just as a, and then you have the little rhythm goes, and the guys are like, oh yeah. They start walking up to the bench. A guy who could only bench 100 pounds before Eye of the Tiger came on can bench press his car while Eye of the Tiger is on. And so, and it's just, the power of influence. And, and listen, influence has the ability to do what laws can't do, what just sheer force can't do, what intimidation can't do, what power alone can't do. Uh, influence has the ability to make us want to change. And this is the hope that Jesus has for his disciples as they walk, as we walk in this world. His goal is that we will be an influential force in this world that causes change and transforms the culture globally and impacts the lives of people individually. Now, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we started to slow down a little bit because now we're on in this uh, section in chapters 5, 6, and 7 that's the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever gave, the greatest sermon ever given. And so Jesus begins this sermon by talking about how to be happy. And he gives these eight counterintuitive ways to be happy. And that secret to being happy, and this is really the key, is that it isn't just for us. Instead, it's for us to live a life that is so different than the world around us, it causes others to want to know God because we're, we're enjoying life and living life in such a way that's different than everybody else. And here's the thing that I know for sure is that you want to impact your family and your friends and your community. And, and the thing that's important for us to know as well is that people's view of God is being formed by how we use our influence and conduct ourselves in our daily actions. And here's how you know that to be the case, is because if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've ever had a conversation with someone about your faith, 
you've talked to them, or maybe you've just talked to them about, hey, I'm a Christian. I started going to church, and I'm reading the Bible. And, and they will have this objection, and the objection has nothing to do with theology. The objection has something to do very practically, and they will say something uh, in, like this. They'll say, I met a Christian who wasn't very Christian. That's basically what it comes down to. And it's like, well, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to, I'm not a Christian because I met a Christian who wasn't very Christian. And, and once again, my, my general answer has always been, I'm sorry to hear that, but just because you walk into a McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. And so some of you are going to get that later, probably while you're eating a Big Mac. And that's not a bad thing. And so, but here's the thing that happens, right? Is what Jesus is going to do is he's going to talk about three ways that Christians should have incredible influence and be tools in the hand of God to see people's lives change. And here's the thing that I know to be sure for most of us is that we, we want, if you're here and you're saying, man, there's people that I love that I want to see come to know Jesus. I want to see God get hold of their life and transform them. Maybe you're like, man, I want to invite them to Easter. And I'm trying to figure out how to invite them to Easter. And then maybe they'll say yes if I invite them to Easter. Here's this, you're, 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 you're here at the perfect time because the thing that is so, it, we're going to talk so practically about the role that Jesus wants you and I to play in seeing the people that we love transformed by the power of God. So we're going to start in chapter 5 uh, of the Gospel of Matthew. We start in verse 13. Here's what we read. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You pause there and give me your attention. Three things we're going to look at. The first is this, is that I am called, you and I are called to be a preserving force in the world. We're called to be a preserving force in the world. Now, here's the thing that's important for us to know. When we think about salt, it's very different than how the original hearers of this sermon, those that were there that day, they thought about salt in a very different way. Salt was a staple item in that culture for a few reasons, and I'll give you a couple if you're a note taker. And that is this. Number one, salt was a preservative. This is how people in the ancient world kept meat fresh before refrigeration. They would just pack it with salt and basically turn their meat into beef jerky. And um, so salt was a preservative. Number two, salt was a medicinal tool. Salt was used as a healing agent to clean wounds. And then thirdly, Salt was a currency. Many people at that time were paid in salt. Debts could be repaid in salt. In fact, the word salary uh, comes from the ancient world. That means this, salt money. And uh, in fact, if you've ever heard the phrase, he's not worth his salt, that comes from this era as well. And so in that culture, in our culture, I should say, uh, salt is used to flavor and to clear roads after it snows, which I know many of you have no idea what that means. But if you grew up, nor- grew up in an area that it snows all the time, you know what, you know what that is. But, um, and, and, and here's the thing that, that happens and what else salt does. Now, uh, I love popcorn. And uh, I love popcorn. My love for popcorn is almost unnatural. Um, I do. And smart food in particular. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of smart food. I just like to get smarter when I eat. And so... Now, so here's what happened. So last Sunday, we get home from church and we have lunch. We decide we're going to watch a TV show as a family. And I decide that I'm going to grab some popcorn. Now, typically what I do uh, is that I will measure out the popcorn that I'm going to eat in a Ziploc bag. And then I'll put it away and I'll just eat what's in the Ziploc bag. But instead, I grab the half a bag of family size, and I think it's important to emphasize that it was family size, and uh, filled with popcorn. And I said, you know what, I'll just, I, I can self-regulate. 
and I will just, I will self-regulate how much popcorn I eat. And I did. Uh, once the bag was completely empty, I stopped eating popcorn. And so there's that. Now, but here's the thing that I didn't realize, is that when you eat half a bag of popcorn, the level of thirst that comes upon you, and, and it's not just, by the way, the level of thirst that comes upon you, and I'm guzzling bottles of water, now my lips are dry, and I'm using chapstick, and uh, do people still use chapstick, or they use something else? Anyway, but I'm using, I'm just, we're using, I'm using chapstick, my lips are so dry. Why? Because salt creates thirst. And this is part of what Jesus is saying that his followers should be doing, that creating thirst whenever we walk into a situation that people become thirsty for God and for the things of God. If we are salt, that means that we preserve, we heal, we were committed to leading people who, uh, to the one who can satisfy their thirst. And listen, when, and here's the hope is that when you have a friend or a family member or a neighbor or whatever that, that has some trouble in their marriage. Hopefully our marriages are such that people are drawn to us. Why? Not because we've been preaching to them about marriage, but because our lives are such that they just, they're just drawn because hopefully our marriages have flourished. And then the words that we use and the counsel that we give become this kind of healing balm in someone's life. That's why the Apostle Paul would say it this way in Colossians. He would say, there it is. Uh, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You see, salt, when he says, if salt loses its flavor, the thing is, salt, if, if salt loses its flavor, it, it ceases to be salt. And that's, that's really the point. And so Jesus is calling his disciples to live the way they were created to live. And so um, I have this espresso drink that I, I make uh, my wife. It's basically like a cortadito, if you know what that is. And uh, it's basically a cortadito. But... Uh, instead of whole milk, I use half and half uh, with it. So it's a little, it's a little thicker. And so, and uh, so I decided I, I named the drink. So I used to not be much of a cook. Now I'm, I'm cooking stuff all the time. And all the famous chefs, they name all their stuff. So now I'm naming everything that I come up with. So uh, this drink that I came up with, I named after my children. So it's called the half Cuban. And so, because uh, it's basically just Cuban anyway. So. Uh, but I do, I name all my creations. I have my, uh, my, my daughter and I, uh, my daughter, me and I would like this salad that if you take like salami and turkey and, and, and just slice it up, put it in a salad with all the lettuce, tomato and all that good stuff. And so then what I'll do is I'll take some, uh, some American cheese, uh, white American cheese and I'll slice it up. And then on top of the salad, I'll put this little tic-tac-toe thing with the slices. I call it the hashtag salad. And uh, so that's a, big, that's a big hit at my house. Anyway, back to the half Cuban. My wife says, uh, she'll say, and, and I try to make it for her. Every time that I'm home, uh, I'll try to make it for her. But she'll say, uh, some, she says, I don't know why when I make this for myself, it doesn't taste the same. And that's because there's this little secret ingredient I've never told her about until today. And that is uh, after I'm done, and I'll, I'll, I'll put two shots of espresso in, and then I'll put, I'll put the uh, half and half in, and I'll put some sugar in, and then I just put this little touch of salt in. That, that just, and, and I don't know why it is, and I'm sure there's some scientific reason for it, but there is this ability that salt has to bring out sweetness. And I don't know if there is a better description about how Christians should live and operate in this world, that we are like salt, and when we're like salt, everybody's life gets better. Well, Paul, uh, Paul Jesus goes on, and he says this in verse 14. He says, not just you are the salt of the earth, he says, you are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, uh, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So not only are we called to be a preserving force in the world, the second thing that we're called to do is we're called to be a reflection of our Savior. Now, we live with all kinds of light, right? Uh, We have regular lights and we have night lights and we have spotlights and floodlights and we have incandescent lights and we have LED lights. We have all kinds of lights. In that culture, when they thought of light, they were thinking of one thing, fire. And when they thought of God being light, as the Bible tells us, they saw God as a consuming fire. And so this, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter four, it's in your notes, it says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. That's also in, found in Hebrews as well. Uh, quoting this. And, but there was a danger to fire that everyone in that day respected and understood. And I never thought of fire as something dangerous until the very first July 4th party that my wife and I had after we got married. So this is about 25 years ago. We were renting this little apartment and uh, we invited a bunch of people over uh, to our house for, uh, for a barbecue. And so now, someone had given us this grill, and I had never owned a grill before. And my parents, uh, when I was growing up in Boston, they, they had only cooked on a grill. They only cooked on a grill once a year. On July 4th, we threw this big July 4th party, and uh, they would actually buy hot dog buns and burger buns. And so, because I only saw them on July 4th, now no one ever told me this, but this is just what my impression was, I thought companies only made hot dog buns and burger buns for Independence Day barbecues. So, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, it's one of my more embarrassing moments is that I remember when I was in the, I didn't learn this, it wasn't true until the eighth grade, when I was staying over at my friend Frank Mullen's house and uh, his mom, we were sitting, they had this really nice dining room table and we're sitting in there and um, I, uh, Frank's mom served hot dogs on hot dog buns for dinner. And so, and once again, I was told, you know, when you go somewhere, you got to be polite and make conversation. And so I'm trying, you know, as at 13, trying to be polite. And, and I, I was, I, Ms. Mullins, thank you so much uh, for dinner. And, uh, and I said, wow. And so I asked, I'm like, wow, it's amazing to me that you were able to get hot dog buns so many months after the July 4th holiday. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Mullins looked over at his son like, who is this moron that you've brought over to our house? <laughs> and, and, and that's, and then, you know, and it's like, listen, I'm not like the most discerning person in the world about certain things, but I started reading the room and I'm like, oh, I'm the only person that believes this lunacy. And, uh, that, and, and then I, I just, I didn't know what to say. And I just said, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm Cuban. And, uh, and they were like, oh, Okay. It's like it all made sense, like, apparently. <laughs> now, well, back to the grill. So the grill that was given to us was a gas grill. And, I, and listen, at that time, growing up in Boston, we, uh, gas grills weren't necessarily used that much. People used charcoal grills. So, um, so I only knew how to work with charcoal. So when they bought me the grill, I bought charcoal. And I bought pre-lit charcoal. And so then I also bought a bottle of lighter fluid. And so I dumped about three quarters of the bottle onto 
this propane grill. Then I'm like, I turned on the propane. And then I lit a match. I hadn't even dropped it in. The flame that came up literally burned all of the hair on my arm off in a second. I mean, it was like, whew. And, uh, and I screamed and my wife came out and, uh, and she's like, what happened? And I'm like, I need a razor to even this out later uh, because this, it, it burned everything. And everything I cooked on that, gri- on that grill that day smelled like arm hair. And, uh, and I'm telling you, and, and you can ask my wife this later. I mean, literally everything. And so people, and people, what are they going to do? They're going to eat. They had no choice. They eat like, so how are the burgers? Like, uh, I know what soap you use now. And uh, so, and it was, now, think about what fire is supposed to do. Fire is supposed to warm. It's supposed to nourish when you use it to cook correctly. It's supposed to light the way. This is exactly what Jesus is saying, is that if we don't take light in our uh, what we are as light responsibly. We end up being like my grill and just torching everyone who gets close. Now, let me tell you something that I see happening in, in our culture and something I see happening in the church and, uh, and uh, it, turning so many people off from following Jesus. And here's what happens. It, it's, it's Christians. It's us who sometimes love being right more than we love people. We love being right more than we love people. And, and listen, there is something amazing to me about Jesus. And one of the million things that amazes me about Jesus is that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. How is that? That these people who uh, society hated, that they knew Jesus was in disagreement with what they were doing, but somehow they, they liked Jesus and they wanted to hang out with Jesus and be close to Jesus. And it's not that Jesus, and read the Gospels, it's not that Jesus avoided telling them the hard truths. No, it's that Jesus didn't beat them over the head with it and then gloat about it. Listen, sometimes as Christians, we can be some of the most mean-spirited people. And it's because we love being right more than we love people. And that has to change. Because when you're light, when you're light and you're doing it well, you're warming people's lives, you're illuminating people's path, and you're making everyone else's life better. And that draws people to you. I mean, you ever have that, uh, that, that moment? Maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and just want to see what time it is, and you grab your phone, and you didn't realize your phone was on like full blast brightness. And, and you, th- like, you turn it on, you feel like, man, is this like a police investigation because you just get blasted with light, and, and, right? Like, we've all had moments like that, and, and that's why dimmers are, are the, the greatest invention because a dimmer will get you to the same place, right? Full illumination, but it takes into account where you're starting from, and this is really the key. And here's, by the way, here's the objection that people will have to this. Because I think if you want to share the gospel with people, if you want to live the gospel with people, one of the things that you have to take into account is where are people starting? What's their starting place? Now, let me tell you what the response that some people will have. Well, I just live my life full blast for Jesus. Like, that's what they'll say. And, and let me just interpret that for you. Uh, well, you say you're living your life full blast for Jesus. You're really living full blast for yourself. And because Jesus took into account people's starting place, right? The way that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus 
a religious leader. He immediately started talking theology about eternal life at a different level than he did when he talked to the woman at the well, a woman who was having all kinds of relationship problems. He talked very different to her than he did to the woman caught in the act of adultery. When um, people were going to stone her to death, Jesus always took into consideration where the person was starting from. And so here's what a wise person does. If a person is in total darkness, use the dimmer switch wisely. And steadily and gradually and faithfully add more and more light. And when you do, the result is that people's lives change. If you decide, I'm just going to go full blast, here's what you're going to do. You're going to feel good about yourself for a few minutes, but nobody's going to be transformed. And then you just chalk it up to it's everybody else's fault. That's why Jesus gives us not just let your light shine. He says in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's how we know if we're doing it right. Is that if, if the way that we share light is good is that people see what we're doing and it glorifies our Father in heaven. And I love the, that phrase, your good works. The, the Greek word is the word kalos, which means this, beautiful. There's a beauty in the way that we live that glorifies God. So my, my wife... Um, my wife and I both uh, had a doctor's appointment this week. And uh, as the doctor's going over the results, um, I, I put my arm around her and I just hold her hand. And nothing. We just talk about like vitamins and whatever. And, and, uh, but I just put my arm around her and, and held her hand. And, and the doctor stops and he says, wow, what you guys have is really special. And I said, really? I said, we just met in the waiting room. <laughs> and, uh, no, I <laughs> said, and, uh, and so we said, he's like, you know, how long have you guys been married? I said, oh, we've been married for 25 years. And uh, we talked about how Jesus gets you through tough times. And then the doctor just starts talking about his spiritual journey. Starts talking about how much he admires Jesus and wants to be like Jesus. And this guy, you know, man, Jesus was so amazing. And, and uh, I mean, the guy's basically preaching the gospel to himself. All I'm doing is holding my wife's hand. It was the easiest sermon I ever gave. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, dude, this service is almost, I'm going to receive an offering and I'm out of here, right? That's a joke, by the way, All right, just, just in case. Um, in fact, we don't even receive an offering in our services, so that makes it an even bigger joke. Anyway, um, so, but here's what happens, is that, listen, when you live, when, when, when you're just shining your light, there is this beautiful way that you live. When you honor God and trust him even in challenging times, sometimes that preaches more than a sermon ever could. And listen, because a beautiful life is what everyone is seeking. And there's just something so wildly attractive about people who are really living for Jesus and really loving people. It's like a magnet. It just draws everybody in. And, and here's what I love about how Jesus closes this section is that sometimes we could think like, well, I'm going to be salt and I'm going to be light. And you know, that might mean that I have to shy away from really speaking the truth. Well, Jesus is going to clear that up real quick when he talks about not just speaking the truth, but being very clear about what it is. Look what he says in verse 17. Uh, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away until all, uh, from the law until all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Last thing I want to tell you, and then we're done, and that is that I'm called to live, uh, I'm called to be authentic in my life. I want you to understand who the people were told, Jesus is telling them they have to be more righteous than who? The scribes and Pharisees, these were considered to be the most righteous people in all of Israel. The Pharisees were the strictest religious segment in Israel. In fact, in total, there were only 6,000 Pharisees. In, in their, uh, so there was a very, it was a very limited and very honored group. And to become a Pharisee, you had to take this solemn oath that you were not just going to obey the Ten Commandments, you were going to keep all 613 laws, and you were going to make sure that you kept every detail that was in the oral law, which eventually got written down, which is now called the Mishnah. Now, the oral law, if you're not aware, was the laws that God gave the Ten Commandments, he gave the 613 laws to Moses, but uh, Jews believe that he also gave the oral law, the oral tradition to Moses, but it didn't get written down. It just got passed on until about the second century when it got written down. And so, but how do you make sure you're keeping all of the oral laws or the oral traditions? Is that you follow another book, which is called the Talmud, which are the interpretations of the rabbi. So let me, I know that sounds confusing. Let me explain very simply how it works. The Torah says, um, in the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, what does that mean, that you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath? So what can you do on the Sabbath? Can you mow your lawn on the Sabbath? Can you um, do any kind of run errands on the Sabbath? Do you have to lay in bed all day for it to, 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 be, to honor the Sabbath? Can you, can you cook? Can you play with, throw, throw a football around with your kids on the Sabbath? Well, the Mishnah, the oral law, takes the... The written law, you've got to honor the Sabbath, and now it has a list of 39 activities that you cannot be involved in on the Sabbath, and one of them is heavy lifting. But then somebody asks, what constitutes heavy lifting? I mean, can I pick up my children on the Sabbath, right? Can I pick up something that falls up on the floor on the Sabbath? And so the, uh, the rabbis argued and debated this forever, and they, it, the Talmud then decides that lifting Heavy lifting is anything beyond two figs. So have you ever held two fig newtons in your hand? I don't know why you would, because those are disgusting. But anyway, I don't know why people want to mix fruit and cookies, but it's just, it's, it's a gross combination. Um, but anyway, but have you ever held two fig newtons? That's anything more constitutes heavy lifting. Uh, the Talmud also says that a person can't look in the mirror on the Sabbath because you might see a gray hair and want to pluck it. And that would be a Sabbath violation. Um, they also decided, they're like, how far can you walk on the Sabbath? And so one rabbi uh, ties these other, ra- this, by the way, it's like the beginnings of a joke, right? One rabbi ties a rope around the other rabbi, and then they walk, and they find out, when does the rabbi break a sweat? And it's about three quarters of a mile, uh, that he, and so it's one step less is how far you can walk. So if you ever read the book of Acts, and it says that it was about a Sabbath day's walk, you know that it's about three quarters of a mile, because that's how far you could walk on the Sabbath before you started sweating. And listen, this whole issue of resting became more work than just actually resting. And, uh, and that was the whole issue with, with the Pharisees. And so uh, a few years ago, I was, uh, I was teaching at this church in uh, Brooklyn. And uh, the pastor was telling me after we got done, uh, he's driving me to the airport, and he's telling me about this uh, Orthodox Jewish family that lives next door to him. And so 
uh, they're orthodox, and so they have a stove that turns on and off that you can set automatically so that you don't have to push the buttons because one of the things that the Mishnah talks about is that you can't kindle the fire. That's why you can't push the button that turns on the stove because that would be kindling a fire. That's a Sabbath violation. So anyway, one Saturday, the pastor hears this banging and screaming outside uh, at, at his front door. And he comes out and it's the dad of the Orthodox family that lives next door. And he says, pastor, I need you to come into my house and turn off my stove because my stove wouldn't turn off and I can't violate the Sabbath. And so he gets outside and he says, hold on. Pressing the off button is a Sabbath violation. But you just ran over here screaming banging on my door, and somehow that's not a Sabbath violation? How is that? And the guy was like, listen, man, you helping me out or not? And uh, he's like, all right, let's go. Have a nice day. So, solving problems. Now, the point is this. The Sabbath was about resting. The Sabbath was about knowing that you're loved apart from anything that you do. But through their laws, the scribes and Pharisees had turned it into work and they missed the blessing that it was supposed to be completely and turned it into a show showing how good they were. And once again, people were very impressed with the scribes and Pharisees and how they were so meticulous. And what they were really doing was um, dissolving any real meaning that it had. And by the way, in our next message in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, we're, you're going to see that as Jesus takes certain commands, and he doesn't dissolve them or make them less. He actually uh, takes them up a notch. And uh, that's why he says, your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and Pharisees. And and they thought that was impossible. In fact, they had a saying at the time that if only two people got into heaven, one would be a scribe and the other would be a Pharisee. And so, because the scribes, if you're not aware, these are the people that hand wrote copies of the law of God. They're also called the lawyers in the gospels because they're the ones that copied the Bible, which made them experts on the Bible. And so these were seen as the holiest of people, but what they had done is created all these workarounds instead of doing what it is that the scriptures were telling us. And this is at the heart of what Jesus is saying. As Christians, we do this without even realizing it sometimes. We say things like this, well, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about it specifically, so I'm okay. And well, yeah, the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about you taking a flight from Fort Lauderdale to Nashville right? There's nothing in the Bible about that. But the Bible does speak a lot about wisdom and how we should live and what's appropriate and what's not. And one of the reasons that we do this and we'll make this kind of, well, it's not technically wrong, is because what we want to do is kind of dance on the line that we want to get as close to sin as we possibly can without falling over. And all we do is, is put ourselves in a bad situation. And listen, if you've lived long enough, You've watched lives and marriages and ministries and reputations be destroyed by people who have danced on the line because they, they should have known better and simply weren't wise. And all the while they were saying, well, it's not technically wrong. It's not technically immoral. No, it wasn't immoral. It was just unwise. And you're just trying to find the workaround to justify the thing that you're doing. And here's the thing that Jesus is saying, not one jot or tittle is going to pass away from the law. And by the way, a jot or a tittle are like little markings. It's like the crossing of a T or the dotting of an I. He says none of it is going to be nullified until everything is fulfilled. Here's the thing that Jesus is getting at, is that we have to decide 
what our authority is going to be. Is our authority going to be what God has said or what we think? And this is why verse 19 is so important. He says, if you break, or literally the word is, if you annul the commands of God and teach and encourage others to do other, you're going to be small in the kingdom or literally insignificant in the kingdom. Think about the things that you would hate to be insignificant in your life, right? Things like you wouldn't want your marriage to be insignificant or your family to be insignificant or your career or your purpose to be insignificant. And the challenge that Jesus is giving to us is that if we set aside God's word in these areas and any other area of life, then the areas that we ignore are going to be a shell of what they could have been. And listen, if we, just relationships, we take relationships, like I know what the Bible says, I've just kind of got my own thing that I'm going to do. I'm telling you, ask someone who decided to marry someone who isn't a Christian. And um, they aren't going to tell you a story of great blessing. And I'm telling you because I've been doing this a long time and I've heard this story a thousand upon thousands of times. And it, it always starts the same and it always ends the same. We got along really well and he was open. She was open to me going to church and they were kind of glad that I was a Christian. And then we got married and she thought, he thought that the Jesus thing was just a phase. And I thought that they were going to change once we got married and now we're in big trouble. And listen, the sad story is that the thing that was so important in their lives becomes stunted and insignificant in comparison to what it could have been because they didn't think that that command applied to them. And why is that? Because we didn't take the commands of God seriously down to the crossing of the T and the dotting of the I. But you know, the opposite of that is also true. And that's the wonderful promise that we have is that if we decide to take God's commands seriously, I mean, I've taken them seriously down to the crossing of the T and the dotting of the I. Here's what he says. There's great blessing waiting for us. He says, you're going to be great in the kingdom. The things in your life that matter most will go places that you never dreamed because the blessing of God is going to be on your life. And that's God's desire for you. Listen, God's commands are not to ruin your life and wipe out any joy that you could have. Instead, he wants you to walk with him so that he can bless your life and do things in your life that you would never be able to do on your own. And you know what the good thing is? Is that there's story after story after story after story of that as well. Christians who decided that they were going to trust God down to the crossing of the T, to the dotting of the I's, even when they didn't get it. Even when they didn't even totally agree but they were going to do it anyway. And what they discovered was more blessing than they thought they would even be able to handle. And that God was able to do something in their life that they would never have been able to do for themselves. And that's God's hope for you, and that's God's prayer for you, and that's God's desire for you. Here's what you got to decide is that you you need it to be your desire for you. And watch him do what only he can do in your life. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that, for that promise that your hope for us is that we would trust you so much that you would do in your life, that you would do in our lives what we could never do in our own. So God, we just want to be open to you, doing, working, so we God, we want to cross the T's and dot the I's when it comes to your command.
and trust you for the rest. God, you're going to do great things in us. Help us to follow you that much closer. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.